Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In this new monthly slot, Rubbery CEO Paul Marden joins me to discuss different digital related topics. In this episode, we're talking about mobile optimization, why it's important, and what you can do to improve it. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Hello, we're back. Everyone will be sick of us by this episode. I give it a couple more. We've got some interesting stuff to talk about, hopefully. We have. Okay. So let's start, as we usually do then, with uh, what attraction have you visited most recently and what did you love about it? (laughs) Well, uh, there's one that you and I both visited recently and there was something I really didn't love about it. (laughs) We went on, what was it called? Was it Mandrake Mayhem? It's the new the new Jumanji ride at Chessington World of Adventures. Mandrill. Ah, there we go. If you are a roller coaster nut, would be amazing. But um, yeah, within two seconds of the ride starting, I re- realised it, it was not the ride for me. <laughs> I like roller coasters. Yeah, so um, we sponsored one of the awards at the UK Theme Park Awards, and it was brilliant. It's a, a fantastic day. It was such a great event. Really good event, brilliantly organised. It was a- absolutely brilliant to see so many attraction friends there. And it was at Chessington World of Adventures, which was super cool. I also want to talk about Chessington because I had forgotten how good it is. So I, I haven't been to Chessington since I was really small. And I think I'm pretty sure I only visited once or twice because we actually lived closer to Thorpe Park and we were like in the Thorpe right. Park Rangers camp. Um, but what I'd forgotten about Chessington was the animals. Yeah, so it's amazing. I was really lucky. I got to stay. Uh, I drove down the night before of the awards and got to stay at the hotel that that night. I didn't get to stay in any of the themed rooms because budget did not allow for that. <laughs> However, um, what I'd forgotten was that when you are having breakfast, the animals are literally right outside where you're eating. And I'd forgotten about it to the extent that I went up to the buffet to go and get my lovely, delicious English breakfast, which I was really looking forward to. And I could see people looking out the window and I was like, oh, what are you looking at? And they went, giraffes. (laughs) 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 Wow. Actually took my breath away a little bit. It was a really great experience. That It's uh, not often you get to eat your breakfast whilst looking at giraffes and uh and Zebras as well that were out there. So, yeah, that was really great. And I really enjoyed the roller coaster, um, despite someone's screams in my ear. I heard this screaming noise all the way around, and about three quarters of the way around, I realised it was me. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a, quite a bit of a screaming, to be fair. I watched it back. I, I found a video on YouTube to show Millie, my daughter, and uh, I was like, oh, my God, it's horrific. You get to the end, and you're just dangling on the side for about a minute. And then it changes direction. And we watched it on YouTube. It barely stops at the top of the ride. It it gets up to the the top, gets to a halt, and then drops back down again. Now, to me, in my memory, that was a solid minute. We were (laughs) hanging over the side of the uh, battle. Was not a minute. Was not a minute. It was anyway, awesome. I did enjoy it. Yeah, big thumbs up to Chessington. It was a it was a really really great experience. So thank you. A big thumbs up to the UK Theme Park Awards organisers as well. It was a great event. Yeah. We'll be back we next year time. for sure. Right, we're going to talk about mobile optimization in this episode. We're going to talk about why it's important and what you can do to improve it. And we've got some really interesting stats to share from um, the Visitor Attraction website report about this. But did you know optimization is no longer a nice to have? It's a necessity. 
because Statista forecasts that retail sales from mobile commerce are expected to surpass the 100 billion mark by 2024. 100 crazy, isn't it? Um, I started my career in digital in e-commerce as well, which is crazy. So I, it just feels really back alien. In the day. I know, back in the day. So I will say it was my last proper job before I founded Rubber Cheese, which then, you know, has been like, what, nearly 20, 21 years so it was the last proper job that I had before I set that up was for um, a really early startup, almost like Shopify, but back then. Um, so this is like 20, 23 years ago. 23. We've got employees younger than that. Let's not do that. But it was it was it enabled um, sellers to go and build their own shop. It was called iShop. It was it was a it was an absolutely incredible platform um, of its yeah. time. And back then I just about had an email address. <laughs> let alone <laughs> did everything you know could pretty much run my entire organization on my mobile phone now it just blows my mind how um, it's crazy as much things have moved on anyway i digress so our visitor attraction website report shows that attractions understand the importance of mobile optimization for their websites but there's really huge areas that could be improved this for me is the most shocking stat from the entire report. It's blown my mind slightly. 96% of the respondents stated that they had never conducted any user testing for their mobile sites. So that's nearly all of the 188 attractions that took part said that they've never done any user testing on their mobile, which like, I, don't, I just don't understand. Um, I've been banging on about testing on your mobile testing your mobile site for like every talk that I've given for the past two years. Well, that's having a big effect, isn't it, mate? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. I should talk louder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm really gobsmacked at it. What was really interesting, though, about it, I mean, it's a shocking stat in itself, but what we what we did this year with the report is that we asked attractions to kind of self-score their websites. So we asked them what they felt their design scored uh, in terms of design so you know they could give it a one out of one to ten score um so we asked them to do the same about different areas of their site and one was mobile optimization so 31 percent gave their site a score of nine out of ten for it and 24 percent gave their site an eight out of ten so that's great they think it's pretty good they think yes and this is the problem so they think it's good so it, it, it that indicates that those scores are based on internal assumptions not you know potentially not tangible user-centered data because they haven't asked the people to test that their user you know their mobile sites are a nine out of ten or an eight out of ten so i just thought that was really interesting that a lot of your judgment can be based on you know your assumptions rather than actually asking the people that are using it so yeah i think that's really important that people do that i was looking at some stuff that was related to this, but not the same area of the stats that you were looking at there. So I looked at how many of the group actually did any user testing on their site. Okay. And obviously that's a really, in comparison to other stats where there's a big wide disparity between different sorts of people, the vast, vast bulk of people have reported that they weren't doing any user testing, but the ones that did all sat in the in the top range of conversion rate 
I'm not saying that one causes the other, but there is a strong relationship between the group of people that are user testing their sites and all of that group of people also had a conversion rate right in the top of, of our um, data sets. And that ranged in size as well. So we're not just talking about the big brands that are doing this. And when you looked at that set of data, there were some there was a big brand in there. Everybody would know it. There's quite a few big brands that weren't in there that they so for me they they were conspicuous by their absence because I'd seen them elsewhere in the data set that had been reported. Uh, but there was also, there was a small brand in there as well, a small organization. I'd not heard of them before. They had between five and 10,000 transactions a year, um, which in comparison to the people at the top end of the scale, that's at least an order of magnitude, smaller organization. Um, but they were doing, they were reporting that they were doing user testing and they they had a conversion rate right up there in the top end of, of our data set. Even more surprisingly, of those that have done user testing specifically on mobile was a very small percent. And uh, this bit you will be pleased about because some people are listening to you. That consisted of a very high proportion of Robert G's clients were in that set of people who were doing user testing specifically on their mobile experience. Yay. Yay, rubber cheese clients. Somebody is listening to you. <laughs> High five to all of you lovely people. Yes. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because user testing for me. So we talk a lot about marginal gains at Rubber Cheese about, you know, trying to make something that 1% better, 1% better, 1% better. And the only way you can actually do that is by doing user testing because you just don't know what to make better. You don't know where people are finding those barriers. You don't know where people are maybe confused about something or being blocked by something as well so just yeah it's just it's this for me it's the it's the number one thing to do if you want to start making those tiny adjustments that will start to then have those incremental and larger effects later on down the line i think it's so so difficult to put yourself into the head of that person that knows nothing um we all come to the party if we run the testing um, you know, whether it's us at the attraction or us as the agency, we come to the party with lots and lots of knowledge that the average person that comes to the site and just doesn't have. And it's it's really hard to put yourself into that position. And the solution to that is getting them to do the testing for you. Yeah. And and when it comes to testing, I think I I, I kind of split it into two because for me, I mean, I've said this before, but but, but most of my browsing or purchasing is done in a very short window of time in front of the telly when I'm supposed to be watching something that 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 Lee and I have decided that is the one thing that we can watch with the hour of telly time that we get together each day but actually I'll be, I'll be trying to watch that whilst also doing you know 10 other things on my phone um, and I'll split it into browsing and purchasing so and most of that happens between about nine and 10 o'clock for me at night. <laughs> so, and it will always be on my phone. Do not make me go. I'm not going to go back into my office and, and crack open my laptop at that time. So everything has to be on my phone. I'm really time poor, clearly. <laughs> so page load speed for me is really important. You know, if I'm trying to find something, I need to find it quickly. I want to read something that's engaging, but I'm not at the expense of, of not being able to load that page that I want to read. So things like, compressing your images is really important um this is a difficult one when it comes to video is that i love video i think there is nothing more engaging than video on your website especially if you're a visitor attraction you know to sell that experience but lose the video on mobile or reduce it reduce it reduce it down because that is going to 
that's going to wipe out a load of bandwidth speed and it's going to make your page loads really small. You've actually, you, there's something that bothers you about <laughs> that video. Yeah, so you think, I've got beef about it in terms of it's autoplay video. It's really, it's not an environmentally sustainable thing to do. We don't often think about the environmental impact of websites, but it's right up there in terms of industry generating CO2 emissions. And one of the, it's not the, it's not the main cause of it, but it's more, it's one area where this is, is, is prevalent is in the use of autoplay video on, on the homepage, the website, people go to the site, the video plays, whether they want to watch the video or not. Um, and that is just burning through bandwidth, which is ultimately generating CO2. So I'm not anti-video. I think video is an amazing thing. And as you say, it can really engage you. I sat this morning talking about engaging video to try and get people to want to love the attraction um, to a client. Um, so I'm totally for it, but it should be something that user opt into, not something that auto plays mm. for them. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. And content as well. So we know that people read content online differently than they do in a book or a magazine or a newspaper, for example. But actually, they read it differently than they do on desktop to mobile too. So you actually need to think about if a certain article that you have or a blog or or, or event or whatever it may be is going to sit in the demographic of people like me, who is a 45-year-old woman with a toddler who has one hour in front of the telly a day to do all of her purchasing <laughs> and scrolling and, and anything else she needs to do on her phone. Superheroes, you mate. Oh, where is my cake? You know, that content really needs to appeal to them and it needs to be in the shortest form possible because, you know, I don't have the time to read all of the engaging content. I just don't. So you need to kind of think about is is your content formatted differently when it's from desktop to mobile as well. Um, And then when it comes to purchasing, this one's a little bit trickier for attractions, I think. And there's and there's lots of different reasons for it. Um, We're probably going to talk a little bit longer about this one. But the one the number one thing that we're always asked to review on attraction websites is that booking journey. And the thing is, we can only do the review of it if that booking journey is owned by the attraction. What I mean is if it's if it's been designed and you are integrating with your booking system via API. So your uh, your agency or your internal team have designed that journey up to the point of, you know, the tickets in the basket and gone. If you're using, a, you know, a third party system and off the shelf ticketing platform that isn't integrated via API, there's not a lot that we can do about it that you're kind of once you're once a guest is into the purchasing journey, they're, they're with that system. But things that you can think about if you are going to go down the designing it your own route, you need to think about big buttons. You need to think about, you know, less clutter. I want arrows. Don't make me type stuff in into small form, <laughs> you know, free form boxes on mobile. You know, I, I just need to be able to select things really quickly, quickly and clearly. So you want to kind of just strip out all of the noise um, and just get people to focus on the one thing that you want them to do, which is, go through that journey and buy that ticket. What was interesting in the stats that came out of the report is that 75% of the respondents to it still expect customers to complete more than five steps to purchase, which hasn't changed from last year. That's that's similar to last year. And again, the reasons for you might not be able to control that. You might be unable to control that because of the system that you you use. So this is a really challenging one. But if you can reduce it, you can actually make some quite significant financial gains. So you looked at the you did you looked at the impact of of bookings on conversion rate, which is is quite significant. 
I got really excited working this number out. I I reckon these numbers are conservative as well because these are these are on the basis of ticket prices and lost ticket sales. But they so for me, I think uh, th- this number could be higher for most attractions because the value of somebody coming to the, an attraction is bigger than just their ticket price. We talked about this the other day when we were chatting, didn't we? You know, when when you go, there's the there's the meal that you eat, there's the gifts that you buy when you leave. So the total cost of a, of somebody arriving at the attraction is probably higher than I'm estimating here. But using using some stats on what the fall off rate is in e-commerce transactions, we've worked out that each step that you add to your checkout flow. It costs for our average attraction in our data set. We reckon it costs about eight thousand pounds a year in lost sales, and for our top performing attractions, it could be worth in the range of a quarter of a million pound a year in lost sales for each step that is included in their checkout flow. You think if you're in one of those top performing attractions with with five steps. A quarter of a million pound in lost sales just in year one. That's a lot of developer time that you could buy to simplify your checkout workflow, isn't it? Um, the return on investment for that for a big organization of simplifying your checkout workflow, I think, could be huge. Yeah, it could. There's so many other factors to think about. You know, I, I, we we have clients that have API integrations. We have clients that use off-the-shelf booking systems. In one way, I've always been really in the corner of of designing and owning your own booking journey, but you have to be realistic about what that puts on the organization as well and the what size your organization is, whether you have the internal team to be able to manage that, you know, the the the, the infrastructure to be able to manage that as well. There's a total cost of ownership issue, isn't there, that is beyond yeah. just the buying price of, of the website in the first place. You you've got to be able to maintain the thing going forwards, haven't you? And that's that's pricey. Yeah, absolutely. But I think if you are thinking about you know your booking systems at the moment, then having those having the conversations with the providers about what their mobile journeys look like, ask to get them to demo it on mobile so you can see it for yourself, um, and ask them what the roadmap is in terms of mobile optimization for the booking journeys as well. So just just go into these conversations with with those thoughts in mind so that you can get an understanding of what that looks like and if they're purchasing journeys six steps at the minute ask them what are your plans to reduce that to five steps and how could we you know work with you to make that happen you know that that could start to to take those conversations in some really positive ways honestly this stat i'm gonna sound like such a nerd but this stat has stuck in my head ever since we worked this one out and i can't get out of my head what what the impact is of the, the lost opportunity, the lost sales that are happening because of these these steps. And I've been thinking, what is the absolute barest min- minimum? Because lots of attractions, when they're going through their buying journey, I'm, I'm thinking, what on earth do you need to ask me that take... I, I'm, this is a rhetorical question, by the way. I know the complexity that is going into a lot of these things. I do understand it. But what is it that you actually need to ask me that take you five steps to get through to get me to actually part with my money. And I've been thinking about what is the, for me, what is the absolute barest minimum you could get away with asking? Well, there's no way that you can affect an e-commerce, a, you know, a payment card transaction without knowing the card details. So you've got to ask the card number, the postcode, the CDC number, and the surname of the person holding the cards. But, so you have to have those. 
And if we can't give the ticket to somebody, you know, we've got to have a mechanism getting the ticket to them. So we need their email address. Those those five things are the absolute barest things I could get away with. But of course, that would only sell a you could only sell an undated, untimed ticket with that. And I've been thinking about this, you know, back in COVID. So COVID and lockdown and then this, the gradual release of lockdown was what introduced for many, many attractions, timed and dated tickets, wasn't it? And and that, that was a complete transformation because we had limited capacity. We needed to make sure that we didn't oversell that capacity and create a problem at the gates. But is it necessary now? And I completely understand that there's lots of benefit to the attraction, to guest services and people like that, of knowing exactly how many people are coming into the attraction and being able to meet that. But I wonder what impact having timed tickets and dated tickets is having on the number of people that, are, that give up buying because there's just too many steps in the process. Oh, I can't be bothered with this. I'm going to not do it. This is quite controversial. It's, isn't it? Completely. And I'm thinking back to that that podcast episode that you did with um, Roman Bartz, where you were talking about variable pricing and dynamic pricing. And, and of course, you can only do those things if you have dated and timed tickets. So if nothing else, there is a creative tension there, isn't there, between if I, if I ask the absolute barest minimum, I will sell more tickets versus if I date and time my tickets and I could be really flexible about my pricing. Uh, everybody wants lots and lots of information because, you know, who wouldn't want all the information you could possibly get about your customers versus the more I ask, the less people will buy. Actually, isn't it? Yeah. I'm in the camp of pre-booking as well, so this is uncomfortable <laughs> for me. I'm in the camp of pre-booking and I don't mind time ticketing either. I think there there is there is absolutely a place for it. And I think for organisationally, for attractions, it just makes their life so much simpler. Completely agree with you. Uh, but I guess there's this, at one end of the scale, you've got the absolute barest minimum that you could ask that will get more people, you know, take their money, take money off of people and get them through the checkout flow as fast as you possibly can. Versus if there's two ends to this spectrum, and both make us both feel uncomfortable. Where's the middle ground? Do you need to know where my address is? You don't need my address to be able to sell me a ticket. You need to know my postcode so you can you can do the credit card transaction, but you don't need my whole address to do that. So maybe maybe that's where the the compromise sits that doesn't make either of us feel uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe. I always think there's a way to get more data out of people at a later stage as well, if you really if you really want it. And maybe that's something that we need to look at in a different episode is that you don't have to ask for all of these things at the point of purchase, but you can ask for more stuff afterwards as well if you're if you're in, really engaging with that audience. There's also one more thing just on that point. There is um there were tools that could simplify this as well, because if you were if you have a clever use of Apple Pay or Google Pay, both of those checkout flows, people have all of their personal information plugged into Apple Pay. So you don't need to ask me anything about me. If you have a, a clever checkout flow with Apple Pay, then you could take my money and then get my personal information from Apple rather than make me having to type it all in. Like, oh, how much easier does that make the process? When I posted about this on LinkedIn a couple of couple well, it must have been a couple of months ago now. Um, and I asked people what their biggest frustrations was with booking journeys. They said um, lack of Apple Pay. 
Um, they said it's just it just it's a necessity for people. They just they don't want to think about their details. They don't want they don't know their card details. They haven't got them. To, again, they're sitting on the sofa like I am. Their cards are upstairs. They're not going to get off their bums and go and get their cards. So that was that was the number one thing that that kept coming up over and over and over again. And then the second one was around clear and consistent pricing, so that they don't feel like they're being ripped off as the the deeper they get into that purchasing yeah. journey. So that's really interesting. Two things to think about there. Um, on these episodes, we often highlight people that are doing it well. So we've decided not to do it in this episode. And we, th- there's a couple of reasons for that is that it's really hard to compare between people that have an API integrated designed booking journey and people that are using off the shelf systems. And there will be, be very specific reasons for why they have chosen to go down either of those routes. And you can't compare them because the reasons are uncomparable, I feel. So we've decided just to take that step out for today. But we are going to talk about what next steps that you can take. So I think the first one is going back to what you've just referenced is thinking about what information you actually really need from the customer. Yeah, if you ask less, you'll need less steps. The less steps, the more people will make it through the checkout flight. So what can you remove? And maybe what could you add in later? Yeah. In addition to that. Completely. And then test on mobile. Test. Again, didn't I end last episode with saying just test, test, (laughs) test on mobile regularly but go through the entire process from start to finish. And then to fix the stuff that doesn't work. So I had an interesting conversation when we were at the Theme Park Awards with another podcast alumni. We were chatting about prepping for the report and where we were going and what we were doing and all that kind of thing. And um, and he told me a story about a site, um, fairly large attraction, where when you try and check out, the only way, if you're doing it on mobile... You can't select the number of tickets when you hold your mobile up. Now, the attraction has tested. They know it because they've written a message at the top of the page. And it says, to be able to book your tickets, rotate your phone to the side. And then you get the ability to be able to choose your numbers. Um, So it's great. They're doing some testing. But how many people don't bother reading that message? Um, How many people are stymied by the idea that, oh, well, I can't, I can't choose the number of tickets so not only have you got to test it you've got to fix the stuff that doesn't work as well yeah god how frustrating is that and is that them is that their into is that the system that they're using so they can't they've got no control over it or like so and if that is the system that they're using then they didn't get them to demo it on mobile did they when they when they purchased it i think it's a combination of the two i think there was something very special about the ticket descriptions of, of of that attraction that meant that they wrote quite a lot in the descriptions and when you write quite a lot in the ticket description it just overflows off the side of your mobile unless you've got a massive tablet oh okay or you rotate it on the side yeah it's not great yeah asking them to do to do something that they're not expecting to have to do is is challenging isn't it asking your users to think well they don't want to think either you don't want people to they don't want to think at that point they just want to do the doing um, okay, what kind of budget are we looking at for some of these things? It's really difficult to say. Yeah, as you've just said, or to remove steps out of the checkout flow, you, it, it's, it could be impossible for many, many people because if they have a off-the-shelf ticketing system that they call out to that they don't have control over, then they might not be able to do anything about that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's lots of things... It, 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 with those off-the-shelf ticketing solutions, many of them are very flexible about the steps that you take mm-hmm. through the checkout flight. So it, it can be very highly configurable. 
um, and it could be in their control to just take it out without any need for developers doing things. It could just be a case of how do they use their third-party ticketing system and, and changing that slightly. So it, it could be impossible or it could be something very, very practical that they could do themselves. It's worth saying that we as an organisation have lots of conversations with lots of the ticketing providers and they are very aware of improvements that can be made or would like to be made to this so I think that there is a there's definitely a movement in the ticketing world of acknowledging that this is a challenge and knowing that they can do something about it and I know that there are a few that have got kind of plans to make change in this area as well so that's great to see. It's a really competitive space isn't it so it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, Okay, well, look, listeners, this is us for another month. Um, What we'd really like, though, is is to understand what you'd like to hear from us. So we've got loads more topics that we can talk about from um, the report. We have got loads of things that come up on day-to-day basis, things that we work on that we can talk about. But if there's anything that you would like us to discuss, any questions that you'd like to ask us, we can happily make those into a podcast episode. So send me an email. It's kelly at rubbercheese.com. Just let me know what you're having challenges with. Yeah, any questions that you just would like us to cover as a topic and we can make that happen. Awesome. I'd love to. I'm enjoying it. Me too. It's lovely to have a fellow guest, uh, fellow fellow host, not 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 just. Oh, a guest. just uh, that was a. Uh, I just got downgraded then. Freudian slip there, wasn't it? Who's the real host? Me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's lovely to be joined by a second host. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> See you next month. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.